With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic. Joined, as always, by our editor-at-large, Ann Thompson, freshly back from Morelia, the film festival in in Mexico. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, I want to get into uh, some news that came out this morning that I kind of sort of had a role to play in, which was the voting date for the New York Film Critics Circle and why that matters uh, in award season. I, I obviously... Uh, as a member of this group, really enjoy the prospects of getting a bunch of critics together to determine what the best films of the year, the, of the year are, and there are some intricacies to that that we'll continue to discuss as the year goes on, but just knowing the date in which we'll vote and anticipating what that means is, is going to uh, tell us something about this season as a whole and how critics end up playing a role in it, wouldn't you say, Anne? Well, I actually think the critics, especially the New York film critics um, and the L.A. film critics, those two um, really play a big role. I mean, the first group that comes out first, listen to me, I'm, I must be tired. I was at the office Halloween party last night. We're following. Um, <laughs> I was playing Annie Hall, a very cute, uh, a, a close, not a stretch for me to be playing you're always annie hall yeah exactly so anyway so basically uh the first one out is national board of review and that's oh you know usually you know the way it goes and they don't have as much influence it's just that they do come out first because they're not really representing film critics they're a sort of hodgepodge group of academics and and writers and industry people, industry types, students, very New York oriented. Very Sony Pictures classics always works their wiles on them. Also, Weinstein Co. It's worth um, noting we did at some, at one point or another. New York Film Critics Circle voted earlier. This year we're not. I don't know if it really matters. Well, you you've been uh, around the same date for about five years, and I think it's still too early. You you kind of moved it up. A while ago. Oh, and critics think, hate this. I mean, they hate voting. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like right after Thanksgiving, we're scrambling to see, you know, are we going to see this or that or the other thing before we vote? And, you know, nobody gets to see everything they want to unless. So did you say that the Wolf of Wall Street literally screened the day before the awards vote last time? That's right. It was. It was uh, Three years ago. Yeah. I mean, it was really down to the wire and, and not everybody made that screening. So, you know, it's a. It's a tricky situation. And I think you all missed Star Wars. Yeah, Star Wars just did not screen for consideration. Yeah. So basically, the one that looks like it could be risky, and maybe it'll get ready in time, um, is is Martin Scorsese's Silence. And Paramount's being very strange. They're telling you that, that it's going to screen, and they're telling me that they're nervous about it. I think what's <laughs> happening is that there there is a, a cut of this movie, that a complete version of this movie in some, in, some, in some fashion that allowed them to pin a release date to it has been screening for... People who have to work on it, maybe long lead, as far as I can tell, 
there there have been enough screens of this movie where there there's words circulating about it and we're hearing what interesting it, what things. is the word the word is this is a very uh talky movie that it's uh that it's quite long that um you know it's uh it's not something that's necessarily going to win everyone over but it's also very accomplished and well acted and so it's really hard to discern exactly how this thing is going to play but it's Scorsese, and with Wolf of Wall Street, that was down to the wire. Really didn't know if that tone was going to work for people. And man, it didn't win all the critics' awards, but it did but it play well. It. it was so late that it really did miss a couple of the early, you know, groups uh, voting. But here's the thing about um, about it. it that was a very commercial movie. Of course, it had Scorsese's name on it, but it also had Leonardo DiCaprio, and it was incredibly entertaining. So the risk that they're all taking, and Paramount knows perfectly well, you know, they they had to release Selma really late, but they still got that up in time for for the AFI Fest. Right. You know, they had a little bit of time, but that was not like an established filmmaker that everybody knew, major stars that everybody recognized. That was a long haul to get Selma where it needed to go. And even and it then, actually got a Best Picture nomination. Yeah, but I remember that AFI screening, they were trying to get people not to review out of it because it, they didn't even have credits on it yet. That's it was right. exactly. wet from the lab. I mean, no. it's crazy what people and are scrambling. And Ava DuVernay was working on it. That's yeah. the thing. I mean, she was rushing to finish it. And so Scorsese is notorious for wanting to fuss and, and, and work on his films until the very last possible minute. And, and this one sounds, from all accounts, you know, set in period Japan, very serious, a drama. You know, you've got Andrew Garfield and Liam Neeson and Adam Driver, who are not, I mean, they're, they're known stars, but they're not necessarily going to pull everybody into a serious drama. It, it, it needs help. It needs promotion. It needs tender loving care to get where it needs to go although the there are so many different ingredients there that could end up being players i mean andrew garfield who's also in hacksaw ridge opening next week and he's very good in it i think he could get nominated there's something there's something to consider there too i mean it's it's kind of this actor on, on the rise could this be his big moment i mean there there are things about silence where even if it's not the pivotal movie of the fall it could still be a considerable player so they should be screening it if they can I mean, and, and critics love to get behind somebody like Scorsese. I mean, it, this is not just about New York Film Critics Circle. It's about the, the cycle of critics voting. And that, that was another piece of this equ- equation that I was sort of hinting at, which is after we vote, you got Boston Film Critics, you got L.A. Film Critics, Chicago. There's sort of this network, and it just keeps expanding. And It's a little bit like a snowball is what happens, is that you start to hear the same movies uh, and other people i remember mike nichols being on charlie rose bitterly complaining about this because what starts to happen is that if the same names just keep repeating them if if you guys decided for example natalie portman is best actress of the year and then la does natalie portman and then chicago does not i mean i'm saying it's not going to be her it could be emma stone it could be annette benning it could be you know you know kate Beckinsale, for all we know, but but the but the but the 
the accumulation if and and then if everybody splits and does different things it's it's more of a horse race but when that thing happens where one person keeps repeating it start it starts to become inevitable like Helen Mirren and the Queen or whatever but there can also be some neat surprises that affect things i mean i remember when we got Marion Cotillard for the Dardenne brothers film two days one night that was not something that a lot of people were chattering about and she got a nomination yeah. in the end yeah exactly and and i'm not saying that that was because of the New York Film Critics no, Award, but impact. it can't What hurt. it does is it makes it, what it really does, this is the plot, its most important function is that it puts all those names and all those films on the pile, on the list of things that have to be seen. That's really what it does. Then they check it out. And if they think she deserves that kind of, and it may be that they were looking at her whole career, you know, even more than the one film, but then they might do it. That's why we must remember that the foreign actresses and actors have done okay over the years and uh, that's why Isabelle Huppert is probably a stronger or Marion Cotillard again for for allied you know they could be stronger candidates than than people think oh yeah we haven't seen that one yet at all I am uh, really excited to see how the voting goes. We have a, a really complex set of sensibilities. I mean, if you look at the list of members, both the people we voted in and the people who are already in there, it's not, there's no specific party line. And so I think there will be surprises, and it doesn't just have to do with what we end up seeing. It just has to do with where consensus settles through this very particular process. So, And it's also interesting that the New York film critics, which have been so hidebound and print-oriented for so long, um, have finally sort of um, opened up a bit, you know, to include what's obvious in our world, which is that it's a digital world after all. We have to be reflective of the marketplace for film criticism. I think it goes back to when uh, Stephanie Zaharik joined as a member of a critic for Salon, which was an online-only publication. When IndieWire joined, I think that was also a step forward. And, and now we have BuzzFeed. We voted in some, the critic from Screen Crush, Matt Singer, today. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that because I think it's essential that these kinds of groups are also assessing the nature of the profession, not the best movies out there, but really, you know, who are the people who we want to say are, are defining film criticism right now. So I, I think it really is is doing that quite quite well. We have Matt Seller-Sides from RogerEbert.com. We have VanityFair.com's critic, Richard Lawson, was just voted in. So so all of this stuff, I think, is, is good news and, and will make the uh, the next few weeks very interesting. There are a couple other things that we, we need to see, or I hope we get to see. I would assume Fences will show for us in time for our vote. Uh, there's the Warren Beatty movie, obviously, which will be opening You're AFI. You're seeing that next week yeah, already. Yeah, we'll, we'll see that. That's opening AFI Fest. And there's Ben Affleck's Live by Night. I mean, who knows? Who knows? There, there are a lot I'm of different I'm excited about that yeah, for yeah. whatever reason. But, um, you know, um, so basically what happened, um, what's interesting, we wanted to follow up. What happened last weekend is, is interesting, that the reviews, this is another example of where reviews really do matter. When someone like you or and, and an, an entire chorus, including uh, Tony Scott of the New York Times, basically gives a movie the best reviews of the entire year, up on 99% on Metacritic, and then says it's like the best film of the year, literally, that's what the, you know, is this, is Moonlight the best film of the year? So, so that yielded 
and he, you know, an almost record-breaking box office, uh, the best, the best numbers since The Revenant. Well, let's be clear. This was on three screens. It was a, That's it was what a, I mean. a massive, a limited yeah, release, very right. Limited. So it was a per screen average of something like a hundred thousand dollars, which is very high these days. It's very well, hard to come by. Uh, you can't get much higher than that with those screens. I mean, essentially, it just kept selling it's out. That they sell that everything, right? Yeah, and they're expanding to a bunch more cities. But it already, I mean, I saw you know Chris Rock tweeted Barry Jenkins for president. I mean, there is a, a kind of <laughs> movement around this movie, which it seemed like this was a possibility, but we did go over why there are some challenges here. I mean, not hugely star-driven, kind of humorless, very arty, but it's uh, dealing with a world that doesn't usually get that kind of treatment. So uh, there, there's something there. It's beautifully done. I mean, we, there was a story that our um, uh, one of our crafts writers, Chris O'Fault, um, wrote about Moonlight uh, and the cinematography. And, and, you know, there was a great deal of loving care brought, brought to, to how they shot this. And, and I, think, I think it will be, um, I think it's accessible. I don't think, I, don't, I just don't think it's a question of this movie being too um, arcane or, or arty for people. I, I think people, it has an enormous emotional impact that's universal, it seems. Well, and the way that you position it is essentially the spotlight slot, the, that, that kind of little indie that could of sorts, although in this case or it's room. very different. I would say it's more like room. If you think about spotlight, even though it wasn't glitzy in a Hollywood way and was very rigorous about telling the story in a very naturalistic, uh, reported way, it was it was still accessible narratively, and and, and there were recognizable actors that we all um, remember. This this has a this has a, a, a this is unique. It's more it's it's tougher. It's more like Room, I think. But Room only won Best Actress, so that's not necessarily the most exciting comparison. If we're really rooting for this movie to. To do well, I this believe season. that uh, it, it may have only won that, but it got a lot of nominations, sure, screenplay, including best director, director which pictures, was not expected. Yeah. That's true. So the so question, I'm not saying Moonlight's going to win anything. By the way, I'm saying it's going to get a lot of nominations. It will have significant support too, and and a good campaign behind it with the Plan B guys who have done quite well, in, in, you know, in, in with these kinds of films at this time of year. Well, they've been more on the studios. I mean, they did do 12 Years a Slave at Searchlight. And they did sell them. But a subsidiary. And The Big Short was a was big studio movie, though. Sure, sure. So uh, it, it is sort of a test for them. But A24 came off a strong year and got so a couple wins. they're very good at what they do. So, very good. So I it, do not underestimate them. Yeah, so, but the movie has to play for the Academy, finally. I mean, that's the that's in the Oscar universe. But I'm more, I'm honestly, I'm really excited that it's doing well in Oh, I couldn't be more thrilled. At the box office. I mean, this I just is, think that's fantastic. This is hands down the, the great piece of cinema that I've encountered this year. I mean, I love Jackie. I'm still a big fan of Wiener. There's all kinds of different sorts, kinds of, there's so much variety this year. But Moonlight is the movie that I think really is, 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 is the one that you can, you can talk up to people and, and when they see it, they get it. You don't have to sell them on it. It's right there. It's, a, it's just a great work of art that speaks on its own terms. It's got its own voice. It's got a vision to it. It's got a, a singular kind of director-writer collaboration driving it. Um, it's, it's just a 
phenomenal piece of work. So also doing really well at the box office was Park Chan Wook's The Handmaiden, and which that's is awesome. A little bit of surprise too, because <laughs> that's a foreign language movie, and, and it's period, and well, it's sexy. Someone and, should you know. do a deep dive on the marketing because I think what's what's notable there is the last thing that you mentioned is sexy. I mean, sex sells, right? And this is, and Park Chan Wook has got street cred. Not always at the movies, <laughs> but this one is is sort of it's uh, it's sexy and at the same time it's elegant. And it's it's Beautiful. you can talk about it. I mean, it's it's a movie that gets people excited. I mean, I, I was at the uh, the new Alamo Draft House that just opened in Brooklyn. It's, it's actually officially opening on uh, in a couple of days, but there's been a soft opening. And I heard a couple of people who went to go see The Handmaiden, and that's what they were saying. They were sort of like, yeah, it kind of made me uncomfortable at certain points, but man, it was gorgeous. And I think that's enough to for word of mouth to get more people to go see a movie like that. So, you know, you see that alongside Moonlight, and it kind of makes you see when what it takes for great movies to really get out there. They need it to be... It has to be unique. It has to be something that you haven't seen before. It has to become an event in some way. And, and worth talking about. films have accomplished that yeah. very well. And, and, and justifiable to get people out of their, their homes. You, exactly. you go there and you, you go see, you know, a light comedy, and you forget about it the next day. I mean, that's just... That, that feels like something that you could just relegate to the realm of TV or, or some other kind of, you know, easily packaged home entertainment. Whereas I'm curious to different. see this weekend how Fire at Sea does, because that's I think that qualifies as well. I mean, it, it was a surprise winner uh, as a documentary um, in Berlin, and it, it, it is... Uh, the submission from Italy, even though it's a documentary. It's very timely, submission. dealing with the immigrant situation and, and that sort and of thing. And it's very moving. Yeah. It's it's really... I, I, I interviewed the Gianfranco Rossi, the, the director, and he's um, he's very unusual. He, he's really kind of a one-man band, and he just uh, improvises and figures out what he's doing. He just puts himself in a place and, and gets the story uh, that comes to him and then shapes it. And uh, I was I was sort of uh, impressed by, by him and his movie. The documentary that I really hope people get to check out when it opens in limited release in, in um, early December is Raul Peck's I Am Not Your Negro, which is just an incredible piece of cinema in a similar fashion, but also super timely because it deals with uh, very civil rights figures through a contemporary lens. So I think when we get to that point, we are going to have a rich set of possibilities in the documentary race. Oh, I mean, there's no question. I did a story about the uh, sort of three of the women who who are at the top of that world, um, you know, curating and making these movies happen. And uh, Lisa Nishimura at Netflix. Uh, and uh, she she was involved in, in persuading Ava DuVernay to make uh, 13th and uh, shaping it with her. And, and uh, I saw it for a second time. And as much as I love I Am Not Your Negro, which I do, um, and I think that film is, has a lot of art to it, you know, a lot, a lot of, of real um, expertise from a veteran filmmaker. Um, I think, I think the, uh, the 13th actually improves on the second viewing because she's just ramming so much information down your throat. You well, know? I think 13th is a, is a, a complex... Uh, essay of sorts, where it's exactly. I am not your Negroes is a greater work of art. So I'm with you. I'm with you on both of those points. But it's going to be, I, I I I can tell from the way people have responded to Thirteenth 
um, and how long OJ made in America is, you know, in many, many parts, um, that it's going to be difficult to get people to see all of that. And they may be biased against it because of its uh, television roots. So, so somehow I think 13th may may rise in that in that they, pack they should see i am not your negro before uh, they, i agree with before you. they do that so we were, we're talking about some of the more positive elements of award season the kind of advocacy for things that we actually like but it's not all fine and dandy there's this thing involving category fraud that you were looking at this week which uh, people should be aware of and how well, that works. it's not so much. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go. I mean, some people. It's it's a term that people throw around. They bandy it about uh, because in in its. By the way, it's really old. It's been going on forever. Everybody looks and they see where their advantage is, and if there's wriggle room. You know, they can say, "Okay, Warren Beatty, you're you can go and best lead for rules don't apply," instead of supporting. You can you even though that move that in that movie, you could argue either way that he's that he had that he barely shows up in the first half, and it's about the young people, and then he very much shows up in the second half, and it's more about him, Howard Hughes. Um, I'm very curious to hear what you think of this movie, um, but but so he decides to go and lead, and and he th- that's where he thinks he has a be- his best shot, and then Viola Davis, who was who won the Tony for Best Actress on Broadway for the revival of August Wilson's Fences, is going for supporting because the Best Actress category is incredibly crowded, and she leaves open a slot for someone like Amy Adams in Arrival or Isabelle Huppert in Elle. That is my feeling, that those two are vying for the fifth slot. And you have Annette Bening, and you have Emma Stone, and you have Natalie Portman, um, and Ruth Negga from Loving. Busy, busy. Very busy. But that kind of thing, it does does annoy me a little bit. Because if if indeed this person is the lead and, and Beatty is really supporting, then... Somebody at the academy should be making that call. I mean, it just doesn't. They don't make the call. They don't. I mean, they go with what they they said. Well, let me put it another way: when the actors branch voted for um, the reader, in the end, they went with Kate Winslet for best actress, and she won, even though they they what they do is they take out the ads. They say for your consideration. They tell the Golden Globes, who usually go along with whatever they tell them, we're going with Kate Winslet in supporting for the reader. And then they put her in supporting. But the Academy did not do that with the reader. Well, they put her in Best Actress. Sometimes these things work better than others. I'll have to double back with you on this after I see rules don't apply to, to see if I think this is merited on, on oh, any level. Oh, by the level. way, the New York film critics can make their call, too. Of they, course. They sometimes oh. change the direction we can do whatever the hell we want are you kidding That's me we're right. film no, but critics you can, if enough people go one way right. then then the company just you know has to sort of back off sure. and change their tune sure and we can even i mean we have way more flexibility if, if uh, an actor who's in multiple movies won we could decide to give them the prize for all of those movies you can't do that at the oscars so 
that one movie may help another. So, yeah, but I Dev like Patel, that. for example, in Lion, you know, I thought he would be best actor for that. I thought he's the major star. He's the one everybody knows. It's about him. It's his story. Well, he but shows up pretty late in the game, though. I mean, that's why yeah. they made the decision to oh. put him supporting on that basis. But that's not the real reason they did it. They can get away with it. But the real reason they did it was they think he has a better chance of supporting. So let's get away from Oscars for a little bit because sometimes we do have good excuses to do that even at this time of the year and with Halloween coming up this weekend. <laughs> I mean, we're in Halloween mode. Obviously, you just came away from your, your party. We didn't get one, but I'll, I'll figure out a costume last minute anyway, as I usually do. Um, horror movies are always... I mean, I am always talking about horror movies. I go to genre festivals. I track these things. A lot of my friends are into these kinds of movies it's definitely my sensibilities in some ways but it's a, it's a maligned genre in, in other ways in the sense that uh it tends to be treated as disposable and 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 not as complex you know you don't well, it's based on what um the fact that hollywood just chases those dollars and puts a lot of crap into the marketplace and and a lot of people associate it with a kind of b genre, low budget, you know, hack filmmaking. It's the association that I think bugs me because if you actually look at the details, there, there are some really fascinating horror filmmakers today, but we don't talk about them. Much in the same way that there are great comedy directors working today, we don't talk about it in, in these terms. I mean, Conjuring 2 was too long, but I thought it was, was fascinating in the sense that it actually tried to be a kind of British kitchen sink drama that just so happened to have a haunting. I mean, it was really ambitious. And apparently the Ouija sequel, which is directed by Mike Flanagan, an interesting filmmaker who, who did the Blumhouse movie Oculus a few years ago, a terrifying movie. Apparently it's, it's quite good. It's got a, a strong rating on the aggregating services. And, and Didn't the, open, though. Yeah. The, the Ouija sequel mm -hmm. is, is, is coming out. So it's, no, I uh, thought it opened last week. Yeah. So it's, uh, but it's, I mean, it's not, it's not hugely popular, but I mean, people aren't talking about that movie in the same breath as other kinds of things. They're not talking about this, the same way they're talking about Moonlight or something like that, which isn't to say it even deserves that, but, but the genre. What's interesting is that you end up with something like The Witch, or which broke out at Sundance, sure. or It Follows, which broke out at, at Cannes. You know, they're, they're really, really good, smart horror movies, but they, they're almost on, they come out through the art end of the market as opposed to being thrown into a bunch of theaters by the studios. Right. Yeah. And, and there, these are, these are, you know, high art horror movies as well. I mean, there, there are happy mediums, which I think struggle even more. I'm curious to know. High what art is more than I would say. Well, no, I think it, it follows absolutely is a movie you could talk about as a great work of, of cinema in terms of the way that it's directed, the way it plays with tone and atmosphere. But there, there's a movie opening in December that I saw at Sundance called The Eyes of My Mother, which I think does that too, except that it's even more grotesque in ways that will probably alienate some people. But if you're a genre enthusiast, you'll, you'll see a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre in there, a little bit of German expressionism. It's also a great piece of filmmaking. You just have to kind of talk people into it a little bit more, especially if they're they're the queasier types, in which case they're probably going to stay away anyway. So, so what was uh, the film that you saw as a child that scared the bejesus out of you and you never forgot it? Uh, outside of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, <laughs> <laughs> which I think counts. Um, I mean, all of those universal monster movies really unsettled me. Was there something about the kind of the slow eeriness of them. The, Frankenstein is, yeah. remains one of the great movies of all time. And, and, and The Mummy, too. 
Yeah, I mean, it, you go back and look at them. There, there is a camp quality. The, the, they don't age perfectly, and yet there, there's something about those movies, as well as the German Expressionism films, which I, I did see as a kid, and, uh, and, and some of those images haunted me, because uh, there's something about the, the worlds they draw you into. They're so stark and, and dreary in a way that doesn't require you know, bloodshed or jump scares. I mean... You know, I'm a big fan of Val Luton's movies. I think that I Walk with, I a, walk zombie. with a Zombie. Yeah. That's a good one. A terrific kind of atmospheric dread that really gets under your skin. You know, and much... Jacques Turner's Cat People is yeah. really good. Right, another from that Val Luton era. The noir, and, the yeah. noir period. Exactly, and we we need more people kind of tapped into that. I think it, the more people are aware of the possibilities, the broader possibilities when we say horror, when we use There's that There's some term. great Japanese horror, too. Sure. I mean, look, uh, Park Chan-wook is, is, is a contributor Indeed. To, that, to that world. Uh, as, as, as He's Korean, Korean. Well, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just in terms of Asian genre, in a in broader sense, I think that there's, there's much to discuss there. Wow, and all this time, and we haven't even gotten into Doctor Strange. I wonder why. Maybe it's right. because you went to see Doctor Strange and I didn't because I went down to the Morelia Film Festival and missed all my opportunities. And every time I got a screening, there was something else up against it. So I really am going to go to the theater and pay my hard-earned bucks uh, to see it. You tell you tell us about. Well, it, I won't go into too much detail, but when you go, take some drugs because the best thing about this movie is that it's it's got some trippy trippy sequences in it i mean that's kind of the essence it, it's inspired in sorts at least visually by the doors of perception and the 3d works in that sense the the visuals are extraordinary uh screenplay is a little underwhelming i, I found the movie to be kind of half-hearted i mean the, the interesting thing about the marvel universe now to a large degree is that some of these movies really knock it out of the park, and some of them are just sort of pushing it along, getting another product out there because they just they got to get another Marvel movie out. This one has a little bit of both. There is some ingenuity there. There is there is a lot that's underwhelming about it, but see it big, see it in 3D, and the the visual component is is more the star of the show than uh, Benedict Cumberbatch or, or or Tilda Swinton, who of course is playing a character that's supposed to be Asian. And as much as I'd like to defend Tilda, because you know, you couldn't ask for a more kind of fluid uh, actor in terms of what she's done over the years. I mean, Orlando, for God's sakes. But it, she, can, uh, she can do anything. Uh, but it just doesn't quite make sense that she's playing this character. So there, there, it's it's got its issues, but it's it's not a train wreck. It's not as messy as, say, the last Avengers movie or things like that. So it's not a total letdown. You know, I think Marvel's doing interesting stuff. I'm having more fun with Luke Cage on Netflix, but that's just me. So, uh, but you should go see it. I, I would like well, to know I, what I you definitely think. Would. I definitely I mean, I have to say I'm a fan of the Marvel Universe. They astonish me because they're willing to create these entire new worlds each time out. And then yet they all relate to each other and belong in the same universe. And so I love the idea that this is an entire, I'm, I'm not familiar with these comics. I don't know anything about them, but I, not these, not this one. I know the big ones. Um, so it's fun for me to go in and see what new world they've conjured up. And there's much more to come in that respect. So next week, we'll have a whole bunch of different stuff to talk about. We've got Hacksaw Ridge. We've got Loving. Eagle Huntress is finally coming out, that, that documentary you've been talking up all year. So I've got more movies to check out. You're back from Morelia, and, and you have to rest up. And, and I'm dashing out the door. So till then, Anne, I hope you... Uh, 
Have a good weekend. Thank you. You too, Eric. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.